Welcome to Cannabis Health Radio, a podcast where we share stories from people around the world who are using cannabis as medicine. The information is meant to raise awareness about the health benefits of cannabis, which should not be taken as medical advice. Now, here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. And welcome to episode 287 of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. The British Medical Journal estimates that in 10 years' time, the global burden of colon cancer will increase 60%. That means more than 2 million new cases and more than 1 million deaths. Globally, colon cancer is the third most commonly diagnosed malignancy and the second leading cause of cancer death. Today, we're going to talk to a young man who was given only 12 to 18 months to live when diagnosed with inoperable terminal colon cancer almost two years ago. And joining us from the UK to tell his story is Scott Davis. Scott, thanks very much for doing this. That's no problem at all. Scott, how old were you when you were diagnosed? Well, it was just before my uh, 39th birthday, actually. Um, September the 14th, I was diagnosed. So, um, yeah, it was... uh, uh, I didn't think I'd make my 40th, if I was going to be honest with you, at that stage. But, yeah, it seems to have had a remarkable turnaround. Well, tell us about the day the doctor told you you had terminal cancer. Um, Yeah, yeah, so basically three months before my diagnosis, I was in and out of the hospital uh, in uh, the doctor's with stomach cramps, and it was put down to IBS. And then it was um, other sort of mild things that they were trying to sort of sort out because I was of my age. They didn't think it would be cancer. Then it was kind of being led towards being pancreatitis. Uh, and then after about three months of losing weight and just fatigue and lack of sleep and really going downhill quickly, um, I was in hospital. Uh, and it was then that they unfortunately discovered that the problem was because um, it was a tumour that was covering the whole of my pancreas and pushing up against my liver. Um, unfortunately, it was inoperable because it was wrapped around the bowel arteries. So um, I was offered um, palliative uh, chemo to sort of get me to a bit more of a pain management to get me comfortable enough so I could potentially get home uh, to see the birth of my third child, which was my first daughter, uh, and then to see if I could kind of get back for Christmas, to spend Christmas with them, and then just see how I went for the rest of the year, really. But, um, yeah, so it was a remarkable, really, I mean, I, I... as soon as I got the diagnosis, um, I was incredibly lucky that I'd come out of the room and um, one of the actual nurses had handed me um, a piece of paper just saying Rick Simpson. Uh, and she just said, just Google that, Google as much as you can. And, and that's kind of where it led me to the alternative route of um, the cannabis side of things. Because as soon as you sort of Google Rick Simpson or anything to do with that, it kind of opened up a whole new avenue of different options for me, whereas I wasn't really given any from the hospital, unfortunately. That's fascinating that a nurse would do that. I know. I mean, uh, I think the problem is with a lot of the medical people, they they know full well the benefits and they hear all these stories, but through fear of losing their jobs, they're so scared of actually saying something in case they get pulled up on it. But I, I, I am so grateful to that nurse for actually taking the risk and taking a chance, just giving me that piece of paper to sort of say something uh, for me to actually look into. Scott, well, when, when, yeah, yeah, go ahead, Corey. 
Oh, I was just th- saying, I wonder what, uh, how things would have turned out if, if she hadn't. You know, sometimes it's uh, divine intervention. I have a couple of sisters that are nurses, and I know one of them uh, has done that on occasion, too. When you first were get, waiting to get your diagnosis, Scott, did, did it at any time ever cross your mind that you were so seriously ill? No, no, because I I run a building company, so I'd managed to be on site and running all the sites and that. And every so often, I'd sort of think I don't feel great, and I'd go and have a sit down. So I was in a position where I could t- kind of take a bit of time off, um, but not in my wildest nightmares did I think that it would be cancer, and I certainly didn't think it was going to be that extreme. Um, so yeah, but as soon as I got the diagnosis. Um, everything seemed to fall into place in respect with why I'd been feeling so poorly. And so it answered a lot of questions. So it was, in one way, it was uh, horrible being diagnosed, but in, a, in, a, in another weird sense, it was quite a relief to actually finally get an answer to why I was feeling so poorly. And, I mean, that it, at the time before the actual official diagnosis it was being thrown around about um sort of pan- pancreatic cancer um so so in my little head i thought well at least it's kind of colon and it's located unfortunately around the bowel arteries meaning it's inoperable but at least it's kind of located there and it's not dealing with the pancreas as yet it hasn't spread that far so i thought at least that gives me a bit of an opportunity um so I kind of even at that point tried to sort of see the positive side in everything, um, which I think is really important in itself, really, the attitude going in towards fighting cancer in itself. Scott, when you went home and you were given this terminal diagnosis of only 12 to 18 months, I assume that, yeah. you, I assume that you're in a state of shock initially. Well, because it had been going on for three months prior... I'd already started looking into um, what insurance was I entitled to because I hadn't worked like to my full potential. So I was kind of losing money on the business as well. So I'd looked at my insurances and unfortunately, the only insurance I had was for um, if I was terminal or critical. So I'd already had the paperwork with me when I went into the hospital. Um, So my first instant of coming out was the nurse incredibly gave me that bit of paper with Rick Simpson written on it. And I took that with me, but I went straight back to my bed and I started sort of planning and looking at, well, I know I've got critical covers for terminal and, and that my insurance was basically, if you get given 12 months or less, um, you get an insurance payout. So I don't know whether it was like an automatic autopilot sort of thing, but I'd kind of gone straight into the mode of, well, I need to protect my children and my wife and make sure things are in place for them for when I'm not here which is a really weird thing to be doing literally straight after your diagnosis. But I think because of the build-up to that point of being told, I'd been so poor, there was kind of some kind of acceptance with the situation. So it meant for me, I've always been quite um, an organised person. So I suppose in my little head, I thought, well, at least that's something for me to focus on and do for the minute rather than think about what I've just been told. Um uh, but to be honest with you, I think along with all the alternative methods, the cannabis and that that I've taken, the opportunity wouldn't have been there had I not have had the life insurance because that's really the point where I was able to afford to be able to do what I'm doing in the UK. 
um, because the CBD side of thing is one thing, but the THC, unfortunately, is illegal over here. Um, so it's, it can be costly. So um, that was a lifeline in itself, having life insurance. Like, what, what went through your head when you first Googled Rick Simpson? It, so, you know, obviously it comes up with cannabis. What did you think in that moment? I mean, I'm not naive to cannabis, but through like youth and everything, I've, you know, I've even tried it when I was a, when I was younger and that in my uh, in my uh, younger days and that. But it was always something that people smoked, and it it's never really my sort of thing. But I had heard, and I had kind of through the grapevine heard sort of whispers about cannabis and stuff and being beneficial. Um, but I'd never really looked into it. Never really needed to look into it. You know, I was a 38-year-old with two children, one on the way, running a business. It's, it, you know, it's been years and years since I'd kind of looked into things, doing anything like that. So it was kind of bringing it all back to the forefront for me. But it was realising just the actual importance of what it was. And so I was already aware of cannabis, but Rick Simpson's really brought it back to the forefront, just the potential benefits of this plant, not just sort of, you know, people people i think have uh, got this presumption that people that smoke weed or take weed are just sort of um you know potheads or stuff like that and, and that's where i think it's really important to educate people on just the actual huge benefits uh of cannabis i mean there's so many that go beyond even the medical use of it uh and i just think there's so many people that aren't educated on that side of things and it's a shame really you know, Scott, given the terminal diagnosis, I can't imagine how your wife must have felt. Uh, well, I know it was a stressful time with her because she was um, pregnant at the time, like I said before, with our daughter. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so that was a really tough time for all of us. Um, anxious because I wanted to be there for the birth. Um, and then obviously to try and just make it for the first Christmas um, because at the time things looked pretty bleak around then. Um, but, but once I got back, once I was allowed home for Christmas, um, I still had the palliative chemo, but that kind of stopped by the time I was allowed home. So, um, it gave me a chance to sort of start trying to just work out, well, where am I going to go with this alternative routes? Cause I'd already, the day that I was diagnosed, I, like I say, got the notes. I'd already started putting things in place regarding trying to get some cannabis or or anything really and researching and finding other stories of similar sort of uh, success or where people had used cannabis. So I think it was about three or four days after my diagnosis, I um, had a stent fitted to my liver to help drain. Uh, and then once I drained the liver, I was allowed to start the pain management, like the, the palliative chemo. Uh, and then the day that I started that was the same day that I started taking the CBD and the THC um, because I'd heard about how it can help with the side effects of cannabis. And then obviously I'd heard that potentially it could actually help prolong my life and miracles above miracles, it might even save me. Um, and, and that's where I've sort of pinned all my hopes. So, so by the time I'd got home, I really started pushing as much THC and CBD in me because I didn't seem to be getting the side effects from the chemo that a lot of other patients were getting. Um, and then by uh, January, uh, I hadn't gone anywhere, and I was actually 
kind of getting back on my feet and getting a bit more fitter and looking into my diet a bit more. How could I put weight on? But all the time, still taking the THC and the CBD along with some vitamins and um, uh, the Fenbend. Oh, no, not the Fenbend. Those I wasn't until May. But I'd started looking, trying to just put a bit of weight on and trying to get a little bit more um, quality of life, basically. And then from and then what I decided then was I was I didn't refuse any drugs or anything, but I decided I didn't want to take the steroids. I didn't want to take all the other morphine and the tramadol. So I decided, you know, I don't feel like I need it. I'm just taking it for the sakes of it. So I decided to stop doing all of that and just stick with the THC and the CBD side of things. Um, and, and I seem to sort of go from strength to strength. I was offered another um, six palliative chemo sessions, which I took because I thought, well, if I'm if the combination of the cannabis and the chemo is working, then I'm happy to just do the lot. So I threw everything at it. Unfortunately, the second six rounds didn't um, do any a, a, any good with the tumour, really. Um, that was still there. It was still inoperable. So they'd kind of not run out of options, but there wasn't really any other avenues they could go down. So by the time that had finished, it was about uh, May time, end of February, May, um, and they didn't have any more options. It was still inoperable. But by that point, I was actually back up and back on my feet and actually getting back on site and managing all the building sites and that. Um, and then from that moment on, I've just carried on doing the THC and really pushing myself to take as much as possible throughout the day and continuously make sure it was in my system. Um, and each scan, we were lucky. Every time we got a CT scan, it come back stable and contained every three months and then um, the last um, PET scan, so I managed to remain stable and contained without anything else apart from the THC and the CBD from that moment on until now. Um, and I've managed to remain stable and contained. Um, but the last two scans have been unbelievably good because the PET scan that I had at the beginning of this year showed the tumour showing no more active cancer. The tumour was still unfortunately there, but if it's not cancerous you know i thought i felt like well i can live with that and potentially i still feel at some point this tumor will break down and it will kind of disperse well the ct scan that i had about three or four weeks ago i got the results for that and um they've sent me a letter as well now just confirming that not only is there no active cancer in my system the actual tumor has disappeared and all they can see now is scar tissue where the tumor once was so oh, that's wonderful. I, I know. So it's given me, I mean, I'm, I, I turned 40 last September, so I'm going to be 41 this uh, in a couple of weeks. So for me, it's just been an unbelievable journey um, from the worst case scenario to, to, to act, want in the best situation and actually finding that I am in that position now. So it's mentally, it's still kind of a, a, a big thing to take on which I still not struggle with but it's still something that I'm still accepting the fact that one minute you feel like you're dying and you're doing anything to live the next minute you feel like uh, well you know and it, it, you're, you're gonna live but it's a strange feeling to sort of come to terms with in a, in a weird way. Scott how much oil were you taking a day? Uh, well, the, the, I got the Rick Simpson stuff, but I found that that stuff would knock me off my feet. 
So right. um, there was a guy that was really helping me out, um, and he, he had some incredible information, um, and he basically sort of helped me work out a way that to break it down with coconut oil so it was um more diluted but what what the understanding is is you, you get more of the thc in your system because you've already broken it down so I, I rather than do a grain of rice every night what i would do is mix it with coconut oil at a ratio of one to one and then i would just sort of be microdosing throughout the day so I could not only get that gram of that grain of rice full in me, I could probably squeeze it and do a little bit more. But at least if I started feeling the high uh, and, and, and the effects that come with that, I could kind of stop and, and it wouldn't get much worse. Whereas when I found that I was putting a grain of rice full under my tongue, um, you know, you're getting the right amount in you from what they sort of say. But the problem is, is you're as high as a kite for for sort of so many hours until you've built your tolerance up to it uh, and because I had school runs to do and a, a business to run and all day-to-day -day chores I couldn't sort of be stoned for the first part of the day and then all right and then in the evening so so uh, yeah the guy really helped me out in that respect uh, and helped me sort of get my tolerance up and really push it but um, I mean I've got I'll have to send you a picture of it of the amount of um, CBD and THC and uh the other bits that i've taken um I, I mean i've probably way overdone it um because i know the rule of thumb for the rick simpson is 60 grams in 90 days uh, and i think i've done that three times over now over um, yeah well, that's kind of gone out the window that whole 60 grams in 90 days because 60 grams of what how strong is that oil well, well that's it yeah so, you know, what? how many cannabinoid receptors does the individual have? You know, yeah. so many things that come into play. The bottom line is it's worked for you. Um, yeah. So would you, how, how much oil would you say you took in a 24-hour period? Just approximately, like, you know, there's that revered get up to a gram a day, do 60 grams in 90 days. And we're becoming increasingly, you know, aware that not everybody can do a gram a day. And oh, you yeah, no, yeah see success without a gram a day um if you were to guesstimate how much would you say you did a day well i took i i actually wrote it down because i started trying to sort of collect data on what i was doing and i kept all the balls what i was doing was four capsules a day of the cbd and then four capsule a day of the thc the thc i would obviously have mixed with coconut oil um but in each capsule, I would have about 18 to 20 drops. Um, and then I would do that four times a day. And then I would also, if I still felt, because I was on site at the time then and chit-chatting with everyone and stuff like that, if I still felt compromised and able to, I would take sort of drops under my tongue throughout the day as well, just so I felt like I'm really pushing myself. I'm really doing as much as I possibly can because I didn't want to think if it, it all did go pear-shaped and it didn't go the way I wanted to, I didn't want to regret and think that I didn't try or I didn't put myself hard enough. Um, right. But so in that respect, I, I probably did do way more than I needed to, but because of the life expectancy and because of the position I found myself in when it first happened, I wasn't willing to sort of just titter around the edge and think, well, I'll just do a little bit here and a little bit there. You know, I just thought I'll just go full hog on it and just do as much as I possibly can. Um, did you, did you um, 
microdosed every hour or every couple of hours? Yeah, with the when I first started building my tolerance up, I'd sort of take a couple of drops of a couple of drops in the morning and then I'd wait sort of about an hour and see how I felt. And if I didn't feel too high, I'd take another drop. And then an hour later, I'd take another drop. And I did that until I could build my tolerance up, until I could start taking these capsules with sort of, like I say, 18 to 20 drops in. Um, and then it, it didn't, you know, I, I was getting to the point where even I thought maybe this stuff's not that strong. But um, I had a few friends that were willing to sort of be guinea pigs. And, yeah, one drop, unfortunately, <laughs> it was, uh, yeah. <laughs> so they assured it, you that it was strong. They, okay. yeah, they did, yeah, they did the next day. But, um, <laughs> the next but, day. That, but, 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 but that's where, I mean, I've been really lucky that I've had friends that are willing to sort of, because they've got an understanding of it as well. And, and their willingness to help me makes me realize, well, good, it is still strong enough. Um because I just built up a tolerance where I thought, well, I'm, I, I don't even know. And I think maybe that's the paranoia part. You just, you're not sure if you're doing the right thing, if you're doing enough, is it, is it strong enough? So it was really helpful having my friends um, sort of take the odd bit here and there to, 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 to sort of confirm to me that it is strong stuff and it is working. And that, yeah, you just, I had built my tolerance up to quite a high level at that point. You know, Scott, your protocol of microdosing is exactly the same as a lady we interviewed last week who had uh, breast cancer, terminal breast cancer. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, she microdosed throughout the day, and uh, she had uh, breast cancer, which metastasized to her liver and her lymph nodes in her chest. And um, she has gotten the all clear. That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think what you're doing is uh, remarkable. When did you know in your own mind that you can beat this? Um, I, think, I think it took me about six months. I think once we got to sort of maybe May, April time, um, and that was when they sort of said, we, we, we still don't really have any other options for you, you know. And, and even the hospital were just saying, look, whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. That's when I started feeling like they know a little bit more than they're letting on. And they're not, they can't say too much, unfortunately, for, through fear of losing their jobs. But, but you could just tell when I went for scans and when I went for appointments and that, just the way that they were, you could tell that they knew... And I used to ask, oh, do you know if anyone else is on cannabis? You know, is anyone? And, and, and they would never give you a definitive answer, but you knew that they'd always be kind of edging you. Just keep doing what you're doing. Don't change anything. Whatever you're doing is working. Just carry on doing it. Um, so that was a really good, um, I mean, my oncologist and the people that have looked after me at the hospital have been absolutely incredible. Um, and they've always really been supportive. Um so, yeah, so I think it was around about May, April time that I, I started saying to my wife and my children then, you know, because at the time we used to explain to the children that it was like a, a spider that was inside me sort of nibbling away. Um, and what we had to try and do was get him to sleep. And the stable and contained was the spider and he was asleep then. We'd managed to get him to sleep. Um, and what the, the main goal was, was hopefully one day the spider would pack up his bags and he would go away. And every time uh, I'd have a scan, my children would ask, oh, is, the sleep, is the spider sleeping or has he gone on holiday? 
And we'd have to say, it's great, he's still asleep, he's still asleep, he's got his bags packed and we're hoping it'll go. Um, and, and so I even started convincing myself, thinking, you know, I think I'm going to beat this. So I do honestly think I will get through this. And I think that has got a big part of it, your attitude as well. Um, so it was, an, it was a fantastic day for me to be able to say to the children, just before this pandemic, um, look, you know, the spider's packed his bags up and it looks like he's gone. And then just to have it confirmed, and I mean, it was funny because I said to the children, it's unbelievable news. And they went, the spider's not back. And I said, no, not, not only has he gone on holiday, he's actually moved his house now as well. There's nothing there. So the kids were over the moon to, to feel that, you know, that that's kind of, they're petrified of spiders, I'll be honest with you now. But <laughs> <laughs> that's a fabulous but story. Well, it was a simple way of trying to explain it to the children without petrifying them, but just kind of making them understand, you know, the, the, the sort of workings of what we were dealing with, but on a sort of child's level, really. So, yeah. Now, how much cannabis do you take uh, today? I take CBD and I'm taking turkey tail mushrooms and the lion's mane mushrooms. Uh, and I I do take the odd drop of THC every so often now, just because I'm aware that although I have had unbelievable results, I'm fully aware that a lot of these scans don't pick up all the cancer cells uh, because they're so minute. So there's a little bit of me that worries that if I take my foot off the gas, am I have a, am I going to have a reoccurrence? Um, Scott, can, I can't I can't um, impress on you enough from my experience of doing this for eight years and working with thousands of people. Please, yeah. please take THC as well, and please, yeah. please take it every night. Yeah, yeah. Well, We've, that's where that's where I've got to now, where I'm just sort of taking a couple of drops of the THC at night now. Um, along with the CBD throughout the day and then um, the, the curcumin and um, all the other sort of vitamins and that that, you know, don't necessarily fight cancer, but they help the body, you know, carry on keeping the immune system as good as it possibly can be. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely sort of sticking with it now. And, and I think it'll, all be, it'll always be something that I take now um just because of the benefits from it um and if i'm honest with you considering everything that i've gone through over the last sort of two years at, at almost 41 now I, i've never been so fit and healthy i've got a whole new attitude to life i go running i bike ride i i'm in the gym i eat healthy now i'm trying to incorporate that with my children who are sort of taking it on board as well we're all quite a fit family anyway um so, yeah, so it's just sort of a whole different outlook on life now, um, which is in, it's, a, it's a beautiful position to be in, um, looking into the future rather than sort of worrying about it and thinking you're, not, you're going to miss out on it. Scott, how has your diet changed over the last couple of years? Uh, well, massively. I was always um, eat a lot of red meat. Um, I was in the Navy for five years to a lot when I was younger and uh, drinking culture is a sort of English thing pubs and stuff like that so for me since my diagnosis I, I've kind of just dramatic I never thought my lifestyle was that bad you know I didn't excessively drink and I didn't excessively eat red meat or bacon or all these other things that you're not meant to do but I was aware that that was pretty much a lot of what I was doing so um I felt that 
whether my cancer was diet related or not, the best thing for me to do was make the changes now for myself. So if I was going to get over it, I was giving myself the best opportunity to get over it. And then when I finally, if I finally got over the cancer diagnosis, I would be putting myself in a good position to sort of carry on for the next 40 years uh, and potentially just be as fit and healthy as possible. And I mean, uh, there's just so many people now that are looking at their health and well-being and, and, and gearing more towards like a plant-based diet, which I'd like to sort of go that way. Um, but at the minute, I still sort of have um, chicken and fish. Scott, are you, is it safe to say that you are cancer-free today? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the confirmation I had off of my oncologist when she phoned was, it's scar tissue now. There's no signs of cancer. I was already in remission from the last scan that showed that the tumour wasn't showing any signs of any active cancer. So now not only have I not got no active cancer in a tumour, I don't actually have any tumour no more. Um, so, and all that's remaining is scar tissue. So I've asked my oncologist if she could put that in writing. Um, so she sent me a letter that basically just confirms all of that. And the reason why I asked her for that is because potentially I was hoping to go on holiday. So the life insurance, uh, so your holiday insurance, it gave me an opportunity then to um, be able to get that reduced because that's been expensive as well of late. Yeah, it's interesting. The spider has left the building. The spider's left the building. He's took all his house and all his accommodation with him. <laughs> Are perfect. You, yeah, that is perfect, isn't it? Do you suffer any side effects that you're aware of as a result of your chemo? Uh, I, I, my hands and my feet, I had neurological damage uh, where I couldn't feel my hands and feet. But I take the lion's mane because potentially that can help with things like that. My hands, um, I use them quite a lot because I obviously being a builder and I play the guitar and the piano. So it's been really helpful for me to be able to keep doing things like that and keeping them moving. And my hands are much better than they have been. My feet, unfortunately, is still like two slabs of meat. Um, so I, I'm still working on trying to sort of get those better, but they are slowly getting better. I think it's just a long term thing uh, with neurological damage due to the chemo. But I think... Um, Maybe next year they'll be a bit better, and then hopefully, as years pass, they might get a little bit better. But I've um, I've learnt to sort of live with it now. Uh, not walk again, but it was kind of walking in a different way because you couldn't feel your feet touching the floor and and things like that. And um, when I used to play football, um, it was learning to kick a ball again. And ironically, I'm actually better now than I ever have been. <laughs> <laughs> It's, re it's a remarkable story that you were given 12 to 18 months to live with inoperable terminal colon cancer. Now you're cancer-free. That, yeah. that is truly remarkable. And, and I'm sure it's changed your state of mind as well. Oh, it's massively changed the, my outlook and, and how I intend to spend the next 40 years. I mean, when I was first in hospital, I was Googling and looking at things and trying to find people to connect with that had had a similar situation. And there was an incredible woman called Joy Smith and she'd been in the media uh, and there was a video of her on TV because she got given six weeks to live. Um, and then I thought, well, if this incredible lady can beat cancer with six weeks to live, surely I'm in a good position after being told I've got 12 to 18 months. I've got a, a, a bit of a longer sort of time to sort of really give it a crack and um i tried to connect with her just to sort of find out about diet things and all that and incredibly she um 
she um we connected with each other and we're we're good friends now and i'm actually due to go and see her next week uh she she's been down to visit me in devon and spent the weekend down here and um yeah she's an absolutely fantastic lady and what we're hoping to do now is with both of our stories we're hoping to reach the media so we can make people in the uk more aware of the situation and then we're hoping to use her petition that she's got over 100,000 signatures to take it to Parliament together to get them to change the laws on med- uh, the use of uh, cannabis for medical use. Uh, and, I, and I just think if we can get a few more people from the UK that have used cannabis and have got sort of stories similar to ours, then, then we're really getting a, a, a strong group together uh, and um, educating people. And if, even if they don't change the laws, Hopefully, there will be enough media attention to make people aware of cannabis so they can then potentially look into it and, uh, and it could benefit them as much as it benefited me and Joy. Scott, I don't know whether you know Corey's story, but uh, she had anal canal cancer given uh, about four months to live. Uh, that, was yeah. eight, that was eight years ago. Yeah, that's incredible. She was saying just before we, uh, yeah, she, earlier on the phone call, um, yeah. it, it's just amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, both Corey and I would like an invite to your fiftieth uh, birthday party. Uh, you can come to my fiftieth and my sixtieth. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, Scott. It was great, yeah. to, great to talk to you. A fantastic story of uh, recovery through the use of cannabis. Uh, anything you'd like to say in conclusion? Uh, no, I, I think the most important thing really is for anyone that sort of beats a terminal diagnosis, whether it's with cannabis or whether it's with um, any other alternative method, is, is just really to sort of put, put, put it out there, let people know, um, make people aware, because there's, there's so many success stories now. It's just a shame that there's so many people in the dark that haven't got a clue. So I just feel the more people that can share their incredible stories and the more people that are willing to stand up uh, and, 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 and tell their side of things, the more people will benefit from that and the more people will be saved and not have to go through the horrendous sort of um, journeys that so many people have to with terminal diagnosis. And, of course, there's so many people out there as well that find out too late um and and that don't make it so it's it's really hard to sort of see that but if people could just see and educate themselves a little bit it would just inspire and give so many more people so much more hope scott a wonderful story very inspiring and we're so happy for you thanks for doing this no problem thanks so much scott Wonderful story from Scott Davis in the UK about uh, his terminal colon cancer and cancer-free today. And because Facebook is shadow-blocking us, which means we can't get to as many people as we'd like to, we have 27,000 followers on our Facebook page, but uh, not all of them receive our podcasts in their newsfeed. Uh, We'd like you to share our podcast if you wouldn't mind. It would be great help to us, and uh, you may save someone's life. And as Scott mentioned, uh, the more people who are aware of the medical benefits of cannabis, the more people will be saved. And uh, I'd like to thank Ron Zahar for donating his studio time for us to record these podcasts, and also Mark in in, uh, Belgium who is responsible for putting up our podcasts on YouTube and subscribe to our Cannabis Health Radio YouTube channel. We'd greatly appreciate it. Thanks for listening, everyone.
Thanks for listening to Cannabis Health Radio. For more information and to search previous podcasts, visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com. Subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This podcast is made possible by donations from our listeners. If you found the information helpful, please consider making a donation in any amount through our website. You can also help us share our message by leaving a review on your podcast listening platform. We are very grateful for your support. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.